Scripture Study Project, our podcast dedicated to helping you discover the scriptures in a fresh way, invest your mind and heart into your personal study, and connect to God in your everyday life. We are your hosts, Krista and Zach Horton. This week we are studying for April 12th through 18th in Doctrine and Covenants, sections 37 through 40. Um, We are coming off of a week of general conference and it was a good conference. Zach, do you have any, do you have any play-by-play for us on <laughs> your thoughts any on commentary. general conference? Well, I only, because we were talking about this a little bit earlier, I, I had a, a student of mine that remarked that this conference, he did not go into conference with any kind of specific question in mind and therefore didn't come out of conference with any real, um, life-altering light bulb moment or insight, which that was interesting. I think sometimes there's always this pressure that this has to be the greatest conference ever, and we have to come out of it with something new that we've learned. But I liked what he said. He said, what I did want out of conference was just confirmation that I'm in the right place, that this is where I should be. And he says, that I got. So it wasn't any one specific talk or any one insight that's going to change my life. But it was a feeling of this is I belong with the saints, and this is a student that uh, that has wrestled with that in his own life, um, where he belongs and and uh, where he wants to be. And so, um, I I really like that perspective. And as I think about conferences over the years, there's plenty where there's a standout talk or even a theme that shows up in a conference. Um, but uh, for me, I think. Uh, the experiences conference is kind of like I heard someone express this once that uh, you eat multiple meals a day over multiple days and weeks and months and years and uh, you don't really remember any one specific meal but the purpose of having multiple meals isn't to have one that you remember it's to nourish your body and I think general conference and maybe to some degree even our scripture study serves that same purpose it's a regular daily nourishment that helps fuel us uh, fuel our faith and and uh, keep us on as President Nelson would say the covenant path. Well, it's interesting because I think I have come to put kind of big expectations on conference, mm-hmm. especially over the last few years as we've had a lot of changes and um, found myself feeling a little let down or a little like wait, where's the where's the big announcement? Where's the big announcement? The cool or thing? where's this big question that I have that I need someone to give a direct answer to? And when that hasn't happened, I've left feeling a little confused or, and I think I came into, I really resonate with that first story you told of your student, because I think that was kind of more of what I was looking for of just this general feeling and um, maybe the piece of the teachings. And I think that's what we got. Yeah. So we're grateful for that. Hope, hoping that um, you had a good conference and a great Easter as well. Um, and we're looking forward to moving ahead with our study of the Doctrine and Covenants. I'm not going to say this this time because this might consider being cheesy. Zach, Zach, Zach told me not to be cheesy as I introduced the podcast. <laughs> Cheesiness belongs to me, not to you. Oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> but maybe just be, I'll be, instead of cheesy, I'll be redundant by saying, wow, we're at section 40 of the Doctrine and Covenants already. Kind of crazy that we're already getting into April and moving along, but we're looking forward to this study today and really diving into some interesting chapters as the church moves to different places and gets revelation for 
kind of an exodus in a way, the beginning of the moves of different areas and locations. And some interesting stories about how specific people handle that and revelations regarding that. So we're looking forward to what Zach is about to say. Well, no, I was just going to comment on that. That's perfect. Um, I think that's an interesting point because in this week's study, there's a transition. If you're a member of the church pre uh, January, pre December of 1831, before these revelations hit, uh, you are a Christian. You've been searching for faith and you found a home. Uh, you love the truth that there is a prophet on earth. You love the truth that there is new scripture. Uh, you love the truth that there have been angels and revelations. So if you are a member of the church before section 37, that's been your experience and you love it. Then this revelation in section 37 comes to Joseph and to Sydney, and then a couple of days later in section 38 at the second conference of the church, uh, this uh, follow-up, or third conference of the church, this follow-up revelation comes and everything changes because not only is the church, is the commandment going to come to move to the Ohio, everybody to move to the Ohio, the church changes from this church attached to Joseph Smith and attached to maybe Fayette or New York to a cause of Zion. We are now a people on the move and we are seeking a promised land. We're seeking to become a Zion people and we're seeking to spread this kingdom of God across the entire earth. Um, and that's new and it's big and uh, it's a vision that's going to captivate people. But at the very beginning, it's one that's going to be quite a bit, uh, it's going to be overwhelming. And so with that kind of long preface, I want to actually skip over sections 37 and 38 really quickly and go to section 39 at one personal story of this James Koval. He hears Joseph and Sidney Rigdon preaching the gospel. And this James Koval hears him, is captivated by the message, comes to the prophet and promises that he will do what he, um, what what the Lord wants him to do. He requests a revelation and promises he'll do whatever the Lord asks him to do. So with that background, here's then the revelation that comes to James Colville, section 39. The Lord focuses on his past, his present, and his future. First, a statement about his present. Uh, verses seven and eight. Now behold, I say unto you, my servant James, I have looked upon thy works, and I know thee. And verily I say unto thee, thine heart is now right before me at this time. And behold, I have bestowed a great blessing upon thy head. In the present, the Lord says, I know you, your heart is right, uh, and I've given you a great blessing. Then he looks at James Colville's pass, verse 9. Nevertheless, thou hast seen great sorrow, for thou hast rejected me many times because of the pride and the cares of the world. And then his future in verse 10. Behold, the days of thy deliverance are come. If thou wilt hearken to my voice, which saith unto thee, Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on my name, you shall receive my spirit, and a blessing so great as you have never known. 
And if thou do this, I have prepared thee for a greater work. Thou shalt preach the fullness of my gospel, which I have sent forth in these last days, the covenant which I have sent forth to recover my people, which are of the house of Israel, past, present, and future. Now, what's so fascinating to me about James Coville is because of his past, he makes a present decision at this moment that will significantly alter his future. Even though he's promised a greater work, uh, he rejects it. And we don't know why. Uh, he receives this revelation and then he disappears and he never comes back. And Joseph and Sidney uh, don't ever hear from him again. And so section 40 is given to them to explain what happened. And it's interesting to notice the phrasing. Uh, notice the tense in verse 1 of section 40. Behold, I say unto you that the heart of my servant James Colville was right before me. For he covenanted with me that he would obey my word. And he received the word with gladness. But straightway Satan tempted him, and the fear of persecution and the cares of the world caused him to reject the word. Wherefore he broke my covenant, and it remaineth with me to do with him as seemeth me good. Now it's interesting, or it's important to note, there's not a judgment there, but there is a clarification that uh, what was the present, your heart is right before me, um, changed. All of that to say, I think, um, as we study these sections this week, we can have a great study in looking at our past, our present, and our future. And so the question we want to pose to you is this. Um, as you're studying, you might ask yourself and ponder this question. What should I place in my past? prioritize at the present, or focus on in the future? Is there something I need to put in my past, to put behind me, or leave in my past? Is there something at the present moment that I'm not prioritizing uh, that I could or should? And is there something, some promise in the future that if I had more clearly in my mind would maybe motivate better action in the present? Well, I think that for me, these questions have become very relevant. I say that a lot, but this one really puts more energy into our our thought processes. And maybe we're having more of those thoughts right now because of this whole crazy pandemic life that has made at least me very self-reflective and probably many of you too. Um, but as we think about what we're, what we should put in our past, what we should focus on or you know, what we're really needing to be doing in this present moment. Um, I don't know, a lot of these things are kind of the buzzword right now in the psychology, in the world in general, and even in the church world as we talk about prioritizing and present moments and reaching for new goals. And I know that each of these holds a lot of mm. of weight, of questions that we've, that I have personally been asking myself. And I was just talking to Zach before specifically about some things in my past that I'm kind of sad about that I've let myself, the habits that I've let myself get into over years and years and patterns that I I want to change but are hard to change. And so how much do I really focus on my past when I'm trying to change it and I want to be grateful for the past but I'm also kind of mad at myself in the past. And anyway, well, so I think that it's just, it's really interesting to think about. Well, I think if we can recap that conversation because I think it's helpful because what we were talking about is you're you're bringing up 
things in your past that you're still wrestling with or you're seeing their influence on the present. Um, and it's difficult when we have those experiences where we look back at the past and see how it's influencing us in the present, especially if it's influencing us negatively. It's hard not to look back and then to regret the past. Oh, I wish I would have. And what if I could have? And why didn't this or why didn't that? And it seems like you're quoting me. Zach. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm just kidding. What's What's interesting to me about James Colville is he's had a 40 year history as this Methodist minister, and we already read verse nine. But uh, the Lord points out some of the things that have happened in the past, and he uses language in that verse, and then in section 40 that reference the parable of the sower. If you remember from the New Testament, a sower went forth to sow seeds, and he spread these seeds: some on the good ground, some on the wayside, some that fell among thorns. And the thorns, the plants grow up, but then they're choked out by these thorn bushes. And the Savior explains later on that those thorns, those bushes, represent the pride and the cares of the world that choke the seed. Of all of the three of these, past, present, and future, I'm wondering if an over-focus on the past can be something that might choke out our present efforts at faith and our realization of future blessings. I wonder if what the message the Lord would give to James Colville is just leave the past behind. Whether it's sad and whether it brings negative feelings to you now or whether it's positive and brings success, I'm asking you to put the past behind and to embrace this present moment, this opportunity I'm giving you now so that you can realize the blessings I have for you in the future. I know for me, putting those terms to it, the the pride and cares of the world, that that's what got in the way. I think that's what I feel a lot when I look at my past is almost a feeling of regret that I um, am ashamed of maybe some of the the thing, the choices I made or the things that I should have done, which feels, ends up feeling really prideful and self-centric of mm. being worried about what people perceived of me at the time or what I perceived of myself or the putting blame upon whatever the situation is. And I think that really can, where it starts to become harmful. I think it's important for us to build off of experiences in the past, um, but not look at it in a way that we start to blame ourselves. Yeah. Um, there's a, a quote um, from President Monson that's kind of one of his famous, you know, one-line quotes that he had a lot of. But he says, the past is behind, learn from it. The future is ahead, prepare for it. The present is here, live it. And I was going to share that when we talk about the present, but I think it fits here with the past, because there is a place for our past. There are lessons to be learned, reflections to be had. Um, but I think if we're not careful, we can experience what James Colville experiences, which is we get so uh, cemented in the past that we don't experience the present and therefore don't realize the promised blessings that come in the future. So if we can then move on to the present, um, here's a truth about God that I have recently become really enamored with uh, section 38, verse 2. Uh, the Lord's introducing himself in this section, as he does in a lot of these more general sections where he's addressing the, the group, uh, the church as a whole. 
Verse 1, I am the Lord your God, the great I am, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the same which looked upon the wide expanse of eternity and all the seraphic hosts of heaven before the world was made, the same which knoweth all things, for all things are present before my eyes. That truth is one that I have understood in deepening degrees as I have pondered it over the years. And just recently... Um, for some reason, something broke through and I understood that when God looks at us, everything to him is present. In other words, he sees our past and he sees our present and he sees our future as one eternal now, which means he sees you at whatever your current age is, you know, 35 and raising young kids but he also sees you at your future age, at age 60 and grandparent. He sees you well on into your 80s or 90s and sees where you'll be there. And all of that is present before him. Now, how that works, I have no idea. But that it's true, I've become convinced. Yeah, that's. this is the teaching that I feel like I need to insert the little brain exploding emoji (laughs) where when I think about this my brain's always like whoa Mm -hmm. and also confused and in awe and all of those things at the same time well it's hard because our mortal experience is trapped trapped is the wrong word tied to a timeline we see things in terms of then now and uh yesterday and so it's difficult to break out of that timeline. In fact, it's probably impossible to break out of that timeline. That Maybe that's part of the veil, part of our mortal experience. Uh, God doesn't just have a really long memory or is really, really good at forecasting the future. To him, things are eternal. Uh, there is no past, present, and future because all things are present before him. Now, The point I think that's powerful about that is both understanding that about the Lord, but it's this. In verse 7, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, my eyes are upon you, and I am in your midst, and you cannot see me. In other words, I can see all things right now. But then he promises in verse 8, The day soon cometh that you shall see me and know that I am, for the veil of darkness shall soon be rent, And he that is not purified shall not abide the day. In other words, we know that God's goal is for us to become like him, which means that his goal is for us one day to see all things as present, to be in that sphere where he is, where uh, we transcend time and where all things are present before us. And I know that seems a bit spacey and a bit far out, Um, but I see the, the, the power of it. Um, to have that kind of a view of ourselves, of others, of the world. And um, what struck me as I studied this time is, uh, I don't think that we get to that place where all things can be present before us by looking forward to the future. I think the way we get to the place where all things are present before us is by practicing being in the present practicing being aware of what's happening in the present. Well, I think this is, I don't know exactly how to say this, but it's not a very human quality to, Mm. to be present. I think that's why there's kind of this movement right now for 
reminding us to be mindful, to be in the present moment, to not get so caught up in what's going to happen. And, you know, this is where the anxiety and depression lies in a lot of ways is as we worry about the past or, or the future. And so I think even you see it in the church, all of this mindfulness resources is this can be a really hard thing to really plant yourself and enjoy what's happening now. And I know for me, there's also that, um, that, what would you call it? That wrestle I have of, well, if I'm having, if I'm enjoying or being in the moment, how do I plan for what's next? Or how do I really do this? But there are ways to do that. And I think it's really an important spiritual practice to be in the present moment. It can bring us more peace. It can bring us more understanding of who God is as we are being still and being with him and making time to see what's right in front of us. It's not easy and it takes practice, but I think that this can teach us um, that that's where he wants us to be. In fact, I studied this uh, a couple of months ago pretty extensively. The Lord's one of the, one of the most common instructions he gives to his disciples, his apostles, his missionaries, is the commandment to be present. He doesn't phrase it like that. What he'll say is things like this uh, to Martha. Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. And the word careful and troubled means to be anxious or worried about the future. But one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. Mary is currently, presently, experiencing what she should be. And you, Martha, are being blocked from that because you're so stressed about uh, the past or the future. To his apostles, when he sends them out, uh, both in the New Testament and the Doctrine and Covenants, take no thought beforehand what you shall eat or drink or what you shall say. Take no purse or script with you. Don't worry about the future. I just want you to go and do what I'm asking you to do. And you talk about faith, President Nelson's invitation to us from this conference to practice faith. That is living faith, to be able to trust that God does indeed have all things present before him. And so therefore, he will take care of the future. He will make things work out. If we have enough faith to trust that and spend less time stressing about the future or less time worrying about the past and more effort simply living in the present, following his commandments, and seeking to love him and love others, uh, there's a freedom that comes with that that I've experienced, I can bear testimony of. I'm a person that very naturally stresses about the future and plans and organizes, and, uh, and it's been freeing to me to practice just being in the present and trusting that God takes care of all those things that normally I would spend so much time stressing about. Well, Zach, as you brought up the examples from those early disciples in the New Testament, I couldn't help but think of the Book of Mormon prophets that we saw having those same anxieties. Mm -hmm. They even talked about being anxious about certain aspects of what's going to happen, how they were supposed to take care of these people. And I think we can all feel that. Um, and maybe it's because I identified a lot with those Book of Mormon characters last year that we studied because I was myself feeling very anxious as the pandemic and you know turned out and what's going to happen and this is this is scary and I don't know how this is going to affect me and my future and my family and 
I mean, I'm sure many of you can relate to that. <laughs> it was an anxious time for all of us and still is. Um, but I think that it's just that reminder of the importance of faith, because that's what faith is, that in this present moment, and I'm seeing this from personal because I'm still working through my anxieties, but really believing that invitation that we get from the scriptures to consider the lilies, that reminder that he takes care of the small things, he takes care of the big things, but even those small things he's taking care of, and that it helps us to more fully be present in the moment that we're in. Well, and that's maybe a good segue to our final focus uh, on the future. And a return to the story. Uh, if you're a member of the church in 1830 and you've heard this revelation that the church is going to relocate to Ohio, you have never been to Ohio. It's not, uh, there's no Google Maps. You don't even, you can't Google Street View what it's like. It's hundreds of miles away. And it means that you're selling your home and your land, probably at a loss because you're going to do it quickly and going to a place that's completely unfamiliar to you. And that takes a lot of faith. Talk about uh, stress about the future and what the future might hold and anxiety and worry. And so if you're coming to this conference in January of 1831, that's the question that's on your mind. What do we, what do I, what's going to happen in my future? And how do I act in the present? And the Lord gives them great promises to convince them that he is uh, aware of and in control of the future so that they can see it, focus on it, but then live in the present. And so if you just look in the, begin in the middle of section 38, uh, starting in verse 19, I will give this land flowering with milk and honey. I will give it unto you for the land of your inheritance, if you seek it with your heart. It'll be a land of promise, he says in verse 18. Uh, it'll be the inheritance of you and the inheritance of your children. These are Old Testament promises. I am going to give you a land where you can start to establish yourself as a Zion people, free, at least for a time, from the persecution and the, the cares of the world, where those weeds that might choke you out are gone. And then he goes on to promise, I will be your king in verse 21. You'll be a free people in verse 22. I'll be your lawgiver. Um, you'll teach each other according to the offices that I'll bestow upon you. Verse 24, you'll practice virtue and holiness before me. You'll esteem each other uh, as, as equals. Uh, you will be one in verse 27. And because you're one, you will be mine. You'll be gathered together in verse 31 without spot and be blameless. In verse 32, I'll give you my law, which he does. Uh, I'll give you an endowment of power, which he does in the temple. And then verse 33, I love this phrase. Uh, From thence, whosoever I shall go, shall I will shall go forth among all the nations, and it shall be told them what they shall do. For I have a great work laid up in store, for Israel shall be saved, and I will lead them whithersoever I will, and no power shall stay my hand. I had a friend years ago that explained to me, as we were talking about the phrase in the scriptures, broken heart and contrite spirit, he explained to me what it's like to break a horse. If you take a wild horse uh, and you capture it and then you put it in a, a pen or a, or a corral, um, 
that horse wants to be wild and free. And the way that you break a horse is you get it used to having someone else lead the horse. When the horse is broken and will submit to someone else leading it, then you open the doors of the corral and now this horse can go places that maybe it's never gone before because it has someone that can lead it. What the Lord is promising in verse 33 and the promise in Ohio is, I'm going to lead you places that you can never get to on your own. That's the promise in the future. In the present, I need you now to be willing to obey and to sacrifice. And so I love the Lord's promise at verse 39, you shall have the riches of eternity. Now, for these saints, it's going to require a lot of faith because they're going to go to Kirtland, and then they're going to go to Missouri, and then they're going to go to Nauvoo, and then they're going to go to Salt Lake, and they're going to move from place to place. But every move is going to strengthen their faith, increase their capacity to build not just a Zion place, but become a Zion people. And the promises are realized. So as you study this week, keep those thoughts in mind, but focus on the question uh, for you. What should I place in my past? What should I prioritize at my present? And what should I focus on in the future? Thank you so much for studying with us this week. Uh, Enjoy your study. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you on social media and studying with you again next week.